Yeah. Oh, well, let's just start with the podcast then. What is this? 40? We'll, we'll, get, we'll get to that in a second. It's got the, oh my God, I'm blanking on the monument. We'll get to the beer in a second. All right. This is a story behind the beer. Okay. So it's episode 48 of Auto Op Topic. It is. We're getting close to 50. No, it's definitely 48. 100%. I am keeping track of it now much better. I have gone back and looked and proven that you are correct. Yes. The the one where I doubted you, that was totally on me. Anyway. anyway. Jinx. Welcome. Wow. Throwback. <laughs> Welcome to episode 48 of Auto Off Topic. I'm yep. Brad. And I'm your host, Andrew. So what do we have to speak about this evening, Andrew? No guest tonight because it's uh, kind of a traditional just you and me night. Yep. And uh, we've got... Lime Rock Historics coming up. We keep talking about it. We'll be there Saturday. Yeah, I'm very excited. Yeah. It's quickly become a summer tradition for us. I should have... Can you pull up the list of what cars are running? Like the schedule? Is there a list? There should be an event schedule. And I meant to grab it before so we could run down like what we're going to see. And I forgot to. So in the meantime, I was also asked to... Uh, plug the Black River Stages Rally that's in Harrisville, New York. That is September 9th. So, unfortunately, I can't go this year. I went way back in 2012. Just not quite enough time with the amount of things I need to do and help out with before the wedding. So, uh, that was Instagram user BizPiz. And I can't... Let's see if, let me see if I can find his real name. Yeah, it's fine. As long as somebody finds his Instagram name of BizPiz. Yeah. Um, Ryan Buckland, because he's running Combo Car in his Glant VR4. Combo Car. So that's like, like a like course, opener. course opener kind yeah. of deal? Yep. Excellent. So that's pretty cool. Uh, so that is on September 9th. And uh, it is in Harrisville, New York. You can find information on it at nasarallysport.com. They always need volunteers and ham radio operators. It's a great way to participate in rally. Uh, the area up there is really beautiful. The road is really cool. I believe there is a water crossing stage. Uh, that, that At least there was in 2012 when I went. There's a couple jumps. like uh, I believe the stage is called Goose Pond. Cars get pretty good air. And you could, of course, always just Google Black River Stages, and you'll find it. So check that out, So please. this is on the 9th. It's on the 9th. It's a single-day rally. How, how far is it from here? Eight hours. Oh, it's kind of a hike for one day, huh? It is. Mm-hmm. It's a good rally, but it's far from us. Maybe I'll see if I can make it up there and have one of us up there. Yeah, it's pretty good. I don't think I have anything going on that weekend. Nope. I'll, uh, I'll double check, obviously, but that's the weekend. I mean, it's basically it's the weekend after this one. Yeah. So that's not a ton of time. I'm off that week because it's the wedding. Right. But we well, it wouldn't we take have, you much time to plan it if I just brought a tent and camp somewhere. Yeah, exactly. But we've got family coming in, so I want to be around to help out. So unfortunately, not this year. Well, since it's not my wedding weekend, I am not yeah. busy, so go I it. might go. So we'll see go what happens. I'll, I'll know better, you know, next Wednesday's, next Thursday's episode, I should say. I'll decide for sure if I'm going or not. All depends, I guess, on how much money we spend this weekend at the historics. Yeah. <laughs> what um, did you find the? List? I did find the list. Okay. Um, however, 
the way Lime Rock sets up the historic festival, yeah, um, the names of the run groups aren't really descriptive. Okay. So you have groups one through nine. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to lift my computer up here so I can talk into the mic. Um, group one uh, is called Herb's Choice. I don't know if that's Herb Chambers because he probably sponsors the event. Maybe. I, don't I have know. No, or it could be a different Herb from before. Oh, nope. I'm definitely wrong. It does say it very well. Herb is Herb Watanson, a longtime vintage racing mover and shaker. Mm-hmm. So group one is Herb's Choice, which is road-going sports cars. So I have to assume that's like MGs and midgets and sprit and sprites and Spitfires and that kind of thing. That sounds reasonable. Probably also like Lotus Sevens and stuff yeah. like that. Um, Duncan's Dilemma is Group Two, and it says Duncan is Duncan Rabagalati, the chairman of the FJ Historic Racing Association, um, which is Formula Juniors. Okay. So Duncan's Dilemma is drum bra- front engine and drum braked Formula Juniors. So the really old style, almost like 60s looking F1 cars. Okay. Uh, not actually F1 cars, but they look like 60s F1 cars. They're open-wheeled cars in the exactly. 60s. Uh, group three is called Tin Top Dreams uh, Splendid Sedans, it says. That's usually like 510s. Many 510s, Alpha GTVs, yep. and, and the ilk. Uh, group four, Eric's Delight. Eric is Eric Bradley, the founder of Lola Cars. Um, that's single-minded sports racing cars. I don't know what that means. Maybe it, well, obviously it must be Lola's, like okay, Lola so chassis, like dedicated full-bodied sports like, car that's made for racing. Yeah, like not a road-going car. Probably a chassis you'd buy just to go racing. Okay, uh, so Group Five, maybe Skips, like Chaparral's or something. Skip's nightmares. Yeah, um, which is Skip being Skip Barber because he's the president of Lime Rock. Yep, um, that's Grand Touring Miscellany. So that's probably whatever larger sedans and coupes probably that, big displacement stuff. Yeah, they don't fit in with the five tens and alphas and whatnot. Probably Corvettes, bigger. Yeah, Mustangs, Corvettes, even American yeah. stuff. Maybe over three big, like E yeah. nine BMW coupes and stuff. Yeah, like that. you might have three liter Porsches. Yeah, possibly. Uh, next class, Group Six, is Collins Apoth- Apothesis which is rear-engined Formula Juniors, and Colin is Colin Chapman, okay, the founder of Lotus Cars. Um, group 7, mostly real vintage, a first half-century collection. So I'm guessing that means Ooh. like pre-war stuff. Yeah, okay. Which is always fun to watch. Yep. They're not very fast, but there's a lot going on. They mix it in, though. You get, I mean, you get pre-war, like pre-World War One, and they mix it in with up to pre-war World War Two. So yes, pre yeah. pre both wars. Yes. <laughs> um, the next one is Group Eight, which is Formula Very Libra. That just says a fast and furious mix. Okay. Uh, I don't know what that would be. Um, Might be guessing, a catch all. Uh, yeah, kind of a catch all class for anything else doesn't fit anywhere else. And same with Group Nine, called Kent's Domain, and Kent is for Kent Bain, a noted restorer and vintage racer. Yeah. And that class just says not quite street legal, so I'm guessing that's probably sedan-based cars as well that are borderline yeah. street cars. No Trans Am this year, but that's okay. There is no Trans Am this year. No. They kind of switch all. They alternate. Um, yeah. And like you said before, they were just running at um, Monterey last weekend, so yeah, a lot of so, them don't make a cross-country so they track. Might, <laughs> um, yeah, we'll probably have a better idea once we get a program when we're there. Yeah, exactly. And you'll have like a, a rundown of who the drivers are and what the car numbers are. So, that so un- unfortunately, cool. that's that's the best 
you know, information I have. Racing starts, uh, practice starts 10 a.m. on Friday. Yep. Uh, and that goes, practice and qualifying goes through 6 o'clock on Friday. And then the racing starts at 9 a.m. on Saturday. So hopefully we'll be there for that. It basically doesn't matter. Just show up if you're a fan of vintage race cars. Yeah, it's fun to watch the cars go around the track, period. You can walk. qualifying or racing. You can walk all through the paddock. They have two paddocks. They've got uh, like a swap meet area intermixed with that stuff. I found some cool Hot Wheels. The guy had a whole like Hot Wheels set up. Yeah, there's all kinds of cool collectibles there usually. Yeah, they've got this nice grassy area. You can picnic. There's like ice cream, plenty of food. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of stuff for kids to do too. If you yep. bring, if you have kids and want to bring them, they won't be bored because they have like a video game session and they have like you like know a bouncy house yeah. and they have old race cars they can actually yeah. go inside of. And yeah. So they have a lot of stuff for the kids too. And there's like, um, what was I going to say? Oh, um, nope, now I blanked. Gone. Excellent. It's right a, it's, it's right a good time. It is a good time. Um, oh, there's, there's car corrals. So if you knew ahead of time, you could look at the car corrals and buy a ticket so you could park in the infield. Yep. And car corral, not in the traditional well, not car like show, sale, yeah. like car corral, meaning the cars are for sale. But they call it the car corral because yeah. if you go with the Porsches, you can park with the Porsches. If yeah. you go with a Ferrari, you can park with the Ferraris. Pretty sure. I, I know for sure they have a Porsche one. They always do. They have a there's, Lotus, a Porsche, probably a Corvette, MG, one. a BMW, a Corvette, a Mustang. There's a European motorcycle. Yeah. Um, and then there's like a catch-all for Japanese cars. Uh, so, and there's a few others as well, yeah. but those are the... Those I didn't bother with that, that that this year because Limerock is so tiny that even if you park on the outfield, it's a two-minute walk yeah, to get to the even, infield. Yeah. Plus, you get to walk over the bridge that they erase under. Which is cool. Yes. So that's a quick preview of Lime Rock, which is this weekend. Yeah. If you don't have anything to do, absolutely go down there. Yep. And we'll be walking around. They have pretty good service there, LTE. Yeah, yeah the service. They, have, they didn't in the past. They recently, last couple of years. So if you message us, I'm sure we'll be looking at our phones. Uh, we'll try to find you and uh, give you stickers. I'll have stickers on me. Sure. Sounds good to me. That's a fun way to give out stickers. So, so. we got Black River Stages. We got Lime Rock. Yep. Um, and we're going to try to do a podcast again in the car on the way there. I thought that worked out pretty well. Okay. Yeah. I think that was pretty good. We can do a little bit in the car and then maybe a little bit at lunch break or something. All right. I'm going to crack this beer, Andrew. Okay. Yeah. What's the story with this beer? This is a is treehouse. Isn't the Arch Monument? Is that what that's called? Yeah. Though, and I'm not even... I didn't look into that, but... I'm not as big into that kind of stuff. You can look that up. Oh, it's like where, it's where a lot of photographers go. Yes. Like Arch National Park or something. Uh, anyway, uh, it's a treehouse beer. Uh, it's a local brewery in Charlton, Mass. Mm-hmm. Um, and they only can so much beer. Yeah. And then they announce on their website when it's going to be available. And then you go there and you wait in the long, ridiculous line to buy the beer. It's the Arches National Park in Utah. Yes. So... This is my first experience with going to Treehouse to get beer. I've had a few different Treehouse beers in the past, um, but a friend of the podcast decided that they wanted to go this past weekend because they had the special IPA release, which is number 40, and they number each one of them, and they have cool little artwork on them. Yeah. Um, and we got there, and being a Saturday release beer, we... Everybody was there. Two and a half hour line to get beer. And then you're only allowed to buy nine cans. Oh, boy. And then... Per person? Per person, yes. All right, not bad. And then the person that was behind... that We thought for sure we weren't going to get any. Yeah. 
because they only make so much of it, and then when it's gone, it's gone. Yeah. We were the second to last people to get beer. Whoa. After waiting in line for two and a half hours. <laughs> got lucky. <laughs> we definitely got lucky. So you're going to get to try some of this wonderful number 40 IPA, um, which is supposedly really good, but I haven't had any yet myself because it's the first one I've cracked because I didn't want to drink it alone by myself. I wanted to make sure I could share the experience with somebody and our audience as well. It, I guess. Uh, yeah. I, I'm not huge into IPAs. Uh, you'll be huge into this. Yeah. Is it, I guess I'm into the like really good ones. You're into really good IPAs, which this is a really good IPA. I'm sure it's going to be very fruity. Yeah. I can smell it already actually. Yeah. So I turn this into a beer podcast. So what? Anyway, so there is your beer, Andrew. All right. Thank you. Oh, it's nice and cloudy. It's very cloudy. I like that. It was so a whole filter. There was a whole history behind it that I was going to print out and bring down so I could tell you, but I don't remember it. Is that what Treehouse does? They no filter stuff. They have all kinds of different things they do, but yes, they do have unfiltered stuff as well as filtered stuff. So it's probably pretty tasty. It smells hoppy. Ooh, but it's sweet. Yeah, that's the thing. A lot of their IPAs. And then it's a little tart with the hoppiness at the end. Oh, I like that. I figured you would. Mm. I'm not sure if it was worth two and a half hours. Yes, it was. It's really good. Yeah, it's pretty good. uh, Our friend, we have another friend who was confused that I was into IPAs because I was like, well, I only like really good ones. I don't like the ones that are just bitter for the sake of being bitter. Right. Like a flavorful IPA. But for like, I really like Hetty Topper. Mm Mm-hmm. But it's one of the smoothest IPAs I've ever had, and it's why people go so nuts for it. I feel this is smoother than that. This is probably smoother than that, yeah. yeah. This In is, fact, well, probably some people who are beer nerds listening to this right now saying, oh my god, you know Treehouse 40. But, you know. This is like a it little... Took some dedication. <laughs> it's got a little more sweetness to it, I think, than the uh, just the Heady Topper. So It's delicious. It's good. Anyway, yeah, if, if you're an IPA fan, um, look up Treehouse because they make some really delicious IPAs. Mm-hmm. They're really hard to get. It's $5 a can, so it's a little on the pricey side, and they only make it once, and then they never make it again, and they make something else. So at least with the, the numbered series. They have mm-hmm. a few they make over and over again, but uh, it's delicious. Anyway, uh, Project Car Updates, Andrew, what do you got? Anything? I, nothing since the last podcast. Yeah, I haven't done anything either. I've just gotten my vehicle just dirty, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I need to wash my cars. I haven't had a chance yeah. to. Mine's still covered in mud from from, from uh, New Jersey. Oops. Oh, so well. uh, we did ask questions on the on the Facebook and the Instagram tonight. So I think we can just probably jump right into questions. Sure. You want to start with the Facebook questions, or would you like me to? Because I have a computer in front of me. Why don't you do that? Because it's easier for you to read them. Because right. my tablet decided not to work. Question number one comes from every time question asker, which we appreciate, Jeremy Nutt. One lesson that I've learned when it comes to project cars is that it is better to have a crappy drivable car than a dead car apart in your yard. What are some uh-huh. life lessons you guys have when starting a major automotive project? You want to go first? You want me to No, do I think you can go first on this one. I like to have uh, at least, I mean, most people will have a vision in their head of the way you want the car to come out. So that's good. I mean, that's like the easy part, right? You've, you've, you've found your project car that you want. You have yes. a vision in your head of how you want it to complete it. So then I like to assess the vehicle and see what it needs. So I'm going to go through it. And, I mean, it depends on the level of what it needs. So, like, let's let's do the Glant. So the Glant we bought, or you looked at it with me when I bought it. 
Right. It was a total roller. Like, yeah. But it had a complete interior, basically, mm-hmm. minus a few minor trim pieces. No engine, no transmission. And no rust. And no rust. Everything else was there. So it was like, all right, cool. We get it home. Then you start making the list of all the stuff that you need. You start sourcing an engine. You start sourcing a transmission. So assess the vehicle. Then start to make a list of what it needs. Start with the most important stuff, which is usually like if it needs rust repair, body work, uh, stuff that would make it safe, I would start there. Obviously, if it needs an engine, you would and start a transmission. With rust repair and body work? Yeah. Well, you can kind of do the stuff at the same time, but right. So if you need to rebuild the engine, you can pull the engine out, have it on a stand, be rebuilding the engine, and then switch between working on engine stuff to doing like body repair or suspension stuff. Okay. That's this is the way I do it. Yeah, I that's um well I had the engine out of that car, it needed wiring repair, so I went through the wiring because it was easy to uh it was easily accessible without the engine there and it was easy to figure out how to put the harness back together. It was a lot more room to work. You'd stand in the engine bay and lay things out. Yeah, and I could basically just I would look through the car, make a list and then spend, you know, Hours at night, cruising forums, cruising eBay, looking for the extra parts that I needed to complete it. And I basically tried to, it depends on the vehicle. Some vehicles you can get all brand new parts and that's super easy. Other vehicles, parts availability, as far as new stuff is not really there. So you get a cruise forums, you get a cruise eBay, you get a look for the used stuff. I typically like to find used OEM stuff when I can and restore it or clean it up and reuse it that way. That's kind of the way I like to do it. Yeah. OEM is always going to be better than aftermarket. Yeah. I mean, it depends if it's just like a, if I need new control arms and new ball joints, obviously I can't buy used ones. No. It kind of defeats the purpose, (laughs) but you know what I mean? Like if I, I'd rather find, uh, say a, an original set of heads for a car than like, uh, you know, recreations from like overseas because sometimes they're better. Yeah, it well, depends. we ran into this problem with the the Raider. Yeah, um, one of the options that I always had for fixing the head was to buy a Chinese copy of the cylinder head, and I always said no. I think he'd make my life easier, but maybe he didn't. Now, finally, one of the most important things is when I'm working on a project vehicle, I do one at a time. So I try not to have project Andrew's holding ADD. a laugh right now because he's looking at me, smirking the fact that I have a hundred of them. <laughs> so you try to pick one car that you're going to work on and you finish it till it's complete and running. It'd be hard for some people. It takes a lot of discipline, but it's the best way to do it. Now, that being said, I do have the 99 Montero, but that didn't need much it's it wasn't a, really a project car. It wasn't it was, it's a project car cuz it's ongoing and I do little things to it. It had a bunch of details that needed to be polished up and I've done those little details and driven it at the same time. Yeah, it wasn't a taken apart car. And it, you had yeah, two dead cars in the yard. Incrementally gotten better. The my Talon has been sitting for many years. I need to get back to it. And yes, it you just do. needs to be revived. 
Um, As I sit here on my high horse, telling you to get back to yeah. your project and have a ton of them myself. Um, there may be another project vehicle entering. I'll know more on that in the coming weeks and months. That is a non-runner, and it's far away, but we'll figure that out. Yeah, that's that's going to be a fun story if it does actually work out. So I think it will. So I think that's my best advice for doing long-term vehicle projects is make a list, have goals. Even if you work on a vehicle, you know, time is always a problem. Even if you do one thing every night, you can break away from your family. You've got a little time after you put the kids to bed or whatever you do, you know, after you have dinner with your family, spend time with your family, and then you've got maybe a couple hours. Instead of watching TV, go out in the garage, run some wires. Be productive. Yeah. Yeah. So something like that. That helps if you have a garage. It does. Yeah. It definitely does. That having a, a workspace definitely helps. Um, I I disagree with one thing that you said. Okay. But I think the reason you said it, uh, you said that you do body work before mechanical work. You can kind of do them at the same time. Well, I think the reason you're saying that is because you haven't done not, you've never done like a full like, no, I restoration restoration. No, no, that's true. Um, and I think what you're talking about is like when you were doing like the engine bay in the white galant. Yeah, like you took care of all the stuff in the engine bay before you put the engine back in, which makes sense. Yes. Um, my thing is the kinds of cars that I generally buy usually have flaws as far as bodywork and paint goes, but I live with it and I make the car drivable first because you never know what you're going to be dealing with as far as drivability issues until you start driving the car. Okay. So if I spent, you know, X amount of dollars making the body on say the blue 78 Colt perfect, I would be super frustrated now when I have, like, my overheating issues. Okay. Because every time I'd go to work on it, I'd be afraid I'd be, A, scratching a fender or whatever, and I would just be annoyed that I spent all that time on the pretty stuff and didn't spend any time making it reliable first. Um, Same thing goes with the Raider. If I bought that, got it running, and was like, all right, now I'm going to send it out and fix the little bit of rust in the rear quarter panels, I'd be annoyed now that I had a perfect restored rust-free body and it was still breaking all the time. Um, this is a lesson I learned back in my Talon days. Yeah. Because that's what I do with the Talon. I bought the Talon, drove it for like a month, and then sent it out to a body shop to have a professional paint job done. Okay. And then the motor let go. And then something else let go. And then the transmission let go. So it was like I was young and dumb and wanted a pretty car, and I spent all this money making it pretty. And then I didn't have any money, didn't have any money left over to make it reliable. So I think because of that car, I've always gone the opposite direction. Make it run good first. Then you can kind of go through the rest of the car, as you see. Now, if you're doing a full-on, like, restoration job, it might be a different story. We are rebuilding every component to the car. Then I guess it doesn't really matter. Then you get the bodywork out of the way first, and you rebuild each individual component, say a rear differential or a front suspension assembly or an engine, and make them pretty and put them in the new pretty body shell. That's a whole different story, but... I think most of our listeners don't do full, like, frame-off restorations. They do the rolling restoration yeah. or sympathetic restoration. The the driving restoration. Yeah, yeah, exactly. One important thing to remember, if you're going to have a car apart for the better part of a year, putting it back together, and you just purchase this vehicle, make sure the paperwork is squared away for the car. Yes. So that when you go 
to finally put this thing on the road, you can actually put it on the road. Yes. And every valid, state's different. That's a valid point. In our state, um, there's a thing with titles. You can have the person sign them, and they get dated when you purchase the vehicle. Legally, we can't tell you not to date the title, no. because legally you have to date it when you purchase the car. You should date it, but be aware that from that date, you will be assessed back sales tax. Right. Now, uh, Until it's registered. Correct. Now, I'm not going to say I'm going to tell you to date it because I generally don't date a title when I buy a car because usually they don't run when I buy them. Um, so I won't title the car. I'll leave the date blank so I could fill it in later on. <laughs> now, nobody's cheating the state out of sales tax. No, because they already get sales tax in the car. They get sales tax when the car is sold. Yeah, every time the car is I think it's, welcome to Personally, I think it's unfair that you would charge interest if I sat in the car for six months before I registered it. Yes. Well, it's not interest on the sales tax they charge. It's more the excise tax, isn't it? No. It's interest on the sales tax. Oh, it's annoying. Yeah. That's not fair. You can't charge excise tax because the car is not registered and being driven on the road. That's excise true. tax, Massachusetts pays for road repair. Quote, unquote. Yes. Yeah. So... Regardless, that's Massachusetts. Well, here's the, look here's, at your local laws. Here's the worst part about Massachusetts: because when you register a car, yeah, you pay sales tax on it. You don't pay sales tax on it based on your purchase price. You used to. You don't anymore. People were being dumb about that, and but I understand why they changed. You it. pay sales tax based on the value of the car. Yes. Now the other problem I have we, with this: we buy cheap cars, so we don't pay much. You think that, but the pro- other problem I have with that now is if a used car is sold in Massachusetts seven times. Yes. Now, Massachusetts gets sales tax on that car seven times. But it's not like seven times right in a row. It, it could be. Yeah. You never know. Theoretically, yeah. But I just, I, I just, I, I, it really burns me to buy a 40-year-old car that, you know, has already paid all its sales tax <laughs> and have to pay sales tax on it again. No, I'm fine with that. That's not... Yeah, it just bothers it's, me. It stinks when you buy it out of state. And it also bothers me because... They do it on book value. So, like, I had a friend that tried to register a 68 Mustang. Yes. And it was a project car. Yeah. You know, he paid, like, you know, 2500 bucks for it. It's not. But they assessed the value at the time of sales tax. The collector. Of the collector value, and they charged him sales tax on $17,000. Yeah, they got wise to that a few years ago. They started doing collector value on old vehicles. Yeah. So now he owed almost what he paid for the car in sales tax to register Ooh, Yeah. That stinks. Yep. So Massachusetts has some weird laws, and I don't like Massachusetts as far as owning a car here. Yeah, they I mean, it's it a little difficult. It's kind of a pain. And the other thing, too, is if you buy a vehicle from a state that the, we're buying older cars, 20 years old plus, right. that states basically all around Massachusetts, at least New Hampshire and Maine, Maine. New, New Hampshire, Maine, Rhode Island, and Vermont, none of them title vehicles cars over, over, older than 19 years. Yeah. So it's super annoying because you bring it to the registry and you're like, well, here, even with proof of last registration and the owner signing it, they still give you crap. a hard time, yeah. And you're like, come on, just charge me all your fees. I'm willing to pay them. Yep. And let me register my car. Like, just... Well, I had a difficult time because I have that 1971 NSU. Yes, they thought is... it was a motorcycle, right? Well, that was the end. That was the end battle. And... But it took three days to register it. And you had the original owner's title had... from 1971. From Massachusetts. Yeah. It was a Massachusetts title. And I went to register the car and they were like, we don't know what to do with this. I was like, you just title it. title it with a new title with the same numbers as the old one. <laughs> the VIN number's right there. Well, it doesn't have enough digits in the VIN. I'm like, yeah, because it's a 71. It's an antique. Oh, well, we don't know what to charge you for sales tax. I was like, well, why don't you charge me based on my bill of sale? 
if there's no book value on a 1971 NSU, yeah, use your, use your brain. You, yeah, like, just I have a bill of sale. Charge me based on what I paid for the car. Well, we can't do that. Well, that's legally how it works. Like if I go to Walmart and something's on sale, I pay taxes on the sale price. So yeah, you'll pay my, tax on full price. Right. This is my actual price I paid for the car. I am willing to pay you the, at the time, 5% sales tax based on that number. Yeah. And like, well, we, we, have, we, we have to clear that with the registrar first. I was like, I just want to register this car. <laughs> you know, it's, oh, I so have dumb. a title. I have all the paperwork. Everything is legal. And then the whole thing is all said and done. And they issue me a new title, and it's a motorcycle title and a motorcycle license plate. <laughs> and I look at the lady, and I go, what is this? And she goes, well, it's a, your plate and title. I'm like, it's not a motorcycle. She goes, yes, it is. <laughs> and I said, okay, why is it a motorcycle? She goes, oh, because the 1200 is the model. <laughs> and I was like, no, this is a really small car with a motorcycle-sized engine, and it's a car. Yeah. Oh, Okay. Well, we get to the paperwork again. And I'm like, so day three, I finally got the car registered. But yeah. it was just like, I went in there with a the title. The title says two-door, four-passenger, four-cylinder. Yet they still somehow turned it into a motorcycle oh, during the registry process, re- anyway. registration process. What was the next question? Anyway, yeah. So went off a little bit in that one. Um, Frank Eck. I'm a little confused by this question. I well, think I'm going to figure it out for you here. All right. He says, do the triple diamond cars have the same upgrade capabilities using later model parts like the trucks, such as brakes, steering, oh, suspension, oh, oh. and no, interior? Maybe a tech show with those kinds of upgrades. So my guess is Frank doesn't know much about anything other than the Monteros and like yes. the D50 Mighty Max. So on like a first-gen truck, you can take parts from my second-gen because it's basically the same chassis yep. with upgraded suspension. And you can back swap it and whatever you want to do. And uh, that works that way. Um, but yes, to a degree. I think the car is even more so. Yeah. You can definitely put between first and second gen eclipses. There are some brake parts will work. Uh, there's certain, you actually, on a second gen, you actually take the older engine combination. Correct. Uh, so it has the seven bolt main versus the six bolt main. Yep. Um, there's some, you can. This is on DSMs we're talking This about. is on DSM, so eclipses. Uh, you can take uh, Evo brakes, and people have made brackets, or there's different knuckle swaps. I know Alex with the Pleasure Evo is currently doing a Evo 5 conversion to his front knuckles, so he can run some different type of ball joints. I bl- No, different. He can run bolt-in wheel bearings, so he can do wheel bearing swaps at the track okay. if he needs to. That's a good, He's good got, upgrade. Yeah, he'd already had the car, I believe, converted to 5-lug, but it just makes it easier. He can now run Evo 5 Brembos or larger Brembos from a later Evo because it's more standardized. Mm-hmm. And then there was something else with the knuckle uh, width change on, like, the ear where the strut mounts. So it's easier to mount later uh, suspension from an Evo, which is better than the early stuff. So, yes, there is stuff. And even stuff as far back as, like, my Colts and... You know, the 70s stuff, a lot of the engine stuff is swappable. I mean, not like direct bolt-in, but almost direct bolt-in, like a 4G63. Yeah, they didn't change the engine mounts like we learned from Josh. Like similar, yeah. the engine mounts are very similar, and even the bolt patterns on the bell housings, depending on the mm-hmm. two different ones, and you can get, you know, the right combination to make it work with all factory parts. And a, so a five-lug Mitsubishi 
has the same hub bore through all of them. Even the four leg ones the same, aren't they? The four leg, yeah, they're all the same hub bore. So it's, no, it's sixty seven point one. Sixty seven point one, yeah, is the hub bore. So even if you've got four on one fourteen point three, the hub bore will be the same as a five on one fourteen point three. Right. So and, change and the same on a four and one hundreds. So yeah, yeah. There's definitely a bunch of stuff. If you know the product, then yes, you can swap parts. Yeah, and we've talked about this before. There's that um, that engine swap guide at uh, projectzero-g.com, mm-hmm. which is all like Mitsubishi engine swap compatibilities. Yes. So that goes through a lot of information, a lot of technical information on there. Um, I think we could actually have Jeremy back sometime because he knows better about this stuff than we do and have a whole show discussing what yeah. motors swap into what Mitsubishis. Yeah, we should. That'd be fun. Yeah. All right. Uh, moving on to Dan Downey. As a fellow multi-car car, as a fellow multi-car now, This owner, one had me a little confused. This we'll newer, talk to this one. more reliable daily. Yeah. Or cheaper car you can fit in 10 minutes. I think it's fixed in 10 minutes. Okay, fixed. Yep, fixed in 10 minutes if needed. Yep. Balance reliability with a newer car and money for fun with the risk of cheaper cars. So he's saying is it more important to have a cheaper car that is more risky as far as reliability goes, but you have more money to play with it? Or is it better to have a reliable daily that costs more and you can't spend as much money playing with it? Okay. All right. I, I mean, th- I mean, this question is is quite obvious to us. I've done both. Yeah, and we're always going to go with older now. <laughs> yeah, I I don't like. I don't uh, like paying for things. No, over and over car and over payments again. aren't fun if you can avoid them. I mean, great if you can have a brand new car, and you can afford to do it. Absolutely, do it. It all depends but, on the person. There's some yeah. people that just don't like wrenching. Some um, people like having a warranty. Some people just like, like driving a stock car. Again, I don't think many of our. I, regular listeners. No. I just bought a new car, which is newish. It's still 13 years old, but it's... Feels like a brand new car. It feels not like a brand 40 new car. Years old. Yeah. And it's not 27. Exactly. So, but that is probably, I'd like to say, 05 is like as new as I like to go on cars. As far as like a car that I can fix myself and have a lot of fun with. With, with the... Caveat of I do like Evos, um, like ninety five is my pretty much my cutoff because yeah. I just don't like dealing with um, OBD two OBD two no, OBD two is easy. I know I just don't know it. I know crappy you old plug carburetors. The code reader in and, and what you. and what Dan Downey is referring to is he actually just picked up a BMW two thousand and two. Yes, so he's been doing the carb dance all week actually. Um, yeah, I don't know how many uh, goats he's sacrificed so far. Uh, I'm not sure if the car's running yet. It is running. Okay. So at least three goats have been sacrificed. All right. But congratulations, Dan. That car is awesome, and yes. I can't wait to see it. He's clearly becoming a BMW addict. Yes. Which is the, what was that book, or the Arjelopnik article about the guy that lost everything because he hoarded yeah. BMWs? Yeah. Wound up pretty much in jail or whatever. Yeah. Um, next question is from Kevin Bates. Mm-hmm. What is your favorite Mitsubishi racing livery from any series? Apologies if this was asked before. It was not. It may have been, but I don't remember. I don't so. think it was. Favorite Mitsubishi livery? I like the Camel cars and the Galant VR4, the rally cars. It's, it's like super yellow. rare. Yeah, it's all all yellow with the blue Camel stuff. You know, like the traditional rally art, red, gray, and black. 
Yeah, I like that too, but the camel ones are kind of, you don't see pictures of those cars very often. Like, I don't know no, don't. how often they ran them, but um, it's classic Marlboro. I'm going to say my favorite is the traditional red, silver, and black rally art style. Um, but secondary, they did do a Advan Galant VR4 rally car. Oh, yeah. Which the Advan, like black and red, like stripe scheme is really good looking. They did that on a Starion too. They did do it on a Starion too. That's yes. a good one. That's a really good looking, good looking combination. Um, and an era appropriate one, there was in the early 80s, there was a Mr. Earl's fittings. Yeah. Did a yellow and black flat body Starion that used to run really? like the SCCA series. Okay. So it'd be black sides and it had a yellow hood and up over the roof was yellow. Okay. And that was kind of cool looking too. All right. Oh, you know what I do like is the, uh, well, we'll, we'll call it Mitsubishi, but the Archer Talons, the golden, it's like the yellow, black. The second gen ones? Second gen. Yeah. With the Eagle, like. That was a cool livery. Transfer, yeah, that's a cool one. Not my favorite Mitsubishi being a second gen, but. No, but that's a cool that's one. A cool looking livery. We've now successfully named every Mitsubishi livery, I think. Um, <laughs> a lot of them are red, white, and black. Like, it was yeah, the, classic, stand, the standard classic rally art design. That's the. It, that's it was the like rally go. art, and then they picked it up from Marlboro, so. Yep, and even the Galant VR4 rally cars were close, but they replaced, like, the black with a blue. Yeah, or a green, and there was, like, a yellow one. But it was the same basic paint scheme, the same. There's some alternate ones of the uh, Montero and Dakar. Okay. Versus, like, the traditional Nikon one you see, but there's, like, some alternate ones, and I can't remember what they are. There was a, on the third gen one, there was a black and white. There was, like, a red and yellow it was a black and white. There was a it was a blue and white, which was oh of, oh my god, we're missing the best one. No, 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 I take it back. The best one is the Puma car, the three thousand GT Puma. That was green. Wasn't that the race mod in Gran Turismo one? Yes, but it was a real. GT? It was a real car. Oh yeah, definitely was a Japanese. That's Grand Dora JGTC. That's my favorite one. Okay, that's a pretty good one. That's Absolutely, a good one. I'm going to stick with the traditional. Okay. Traditional rally at stripe package, yeah. followed closely by the Admon. Okay. So, uh, moving on to Instagram. Sure. Uh, question number one. Photo mob. Photo underscore mob underscore. Yep. What is your favorite factory seat? All right. What are you going to say? Well, I'm going to go obscure. I know what you're going to say. Oh, no, you gonna don't. Okay. I'm going to go way obscure. What did you think I was going to say? I thought you were going to say Evo 8, Recaro. That's a nice seat. It's a very nice factory seat. Yeah, it's a very nice factory. I, I wouldn't consider that a factory seat, though, because it's like an aftermarket seat in a factory application. Yeah, but it came from factory. Uh, I'm going to go obscure. Uh, I had a friend, like, right after high school years that picked up a really nice condition 86 Thunderbird. Okay. Um, it was a Thunderbird Fila edition. Really? Yes. Um, We've gone from Puma to Fila. Yes. <laughs> Any else? Is there an Adidas one? Um, there, I've never heard of an Adidas edition. No, but there was, it was a Fila edition Thunderbird. It was a light metallic a blue, light metallic blue with a light blue velour style interior, and it had these really deep buckets in the front, um, and the buckets had air bladders. All right. And used to pump up the air bladders to pump up the um, lumbar support. Yep. And the bolsters to keep you in place in the seats and they looked almost like what the doctor uses for your blood pressure yeah it was the same style air bladder those uh, carbos i have out in the garage right the driver's ones got a little air bladder pump and but, i think you get them on mustangs too 
Probably because this was a Thunderbird, yeah. so it could have been the same. Fox but bodies. That was my favorite factory seat just because it was dumb and fun. And it was, you know, like the Reebok pump, <laughs> but in a seat and a Fila, not Reebok. So that would be my favorite factory seat just because I remember that car specifically. I like first gen. Well, there's only two generations here. So first gen G20 touring seats. Those are nice. Super, super deep bucket. Car came with a five speed SR20 front wheel drive. Really fun cars. Yeah, drive. I would like to find one of those as a daily, but they don't exist around here anymore. Not here. They rusted away. Maybe out west. Yeah, those are pretty nice. Probably find one kicking around Phoenix or something for like stupid cheap. Because they're, I mean, they're, and they're basically just a B13 center that looks a little nicer, I think. They're a bigger car. They're a bigger car. Slightly. slightly bigger it's a premiere, but I think they're a cool car. Yep, no, they're a very cool car. And we learned about those from Gran Turismo as well, actually. Yes. And then both of us in that era built the Tamaya model. Yep. You built the Calsonic one, and I built the Castro. And then I was working as a like a lot kid at the Infinity, Infinity dealer, and I got yep. to, those cars were those cars were only ten years old, so people were still bringing them to the dealer at the Trading time. Trading them in, probably. Yeah, and so I drove quite a few around. Actually, I learned how to drive standard on those customer cars. We won't tell the customer. <laughs> uh, Stutnuts forty one thirty says, "You find out that the factory has in stock one of every part required to build a brand new version of any car of your choosing from scratch." Any car, any model year, money, no object. What would your 2018 model year anything be? So continuation car. Yes. What would, I mean, Miata, Mazda's kind of doing this with the Miata. Have you heard that? Yeah. They're re- restoring them from scratch. Mm-hmm. Kind of like Datsun did with the 240Z back in the Ooh, that's late, a tough early call. 2000s. What on earth would I get new? I know what I would get. What's that? I'd build a brand new 1969 Camaro Z28. Okay. I mean, That's I've always one. liked the Z28 because it was kind of the underdog as far as in this country because everybody bought the, one of the you know the big block drag cars. Yep. And the Z28 could be could be had with the uh, cross ram, you know, and cross ram carburetor manifold and the 302 and the four speed and big heavy duty sway bars and I just think it's a cool car. I'm gonna go a little more exotic and upmarket uh, original GT40. Okay. See, I was trying to stay out of the exotic realm. I know money is no object as part of the question, but I didn't want to do the... That would be a car that if I could go back in time and own in period, oh my God, that'd be so cool. It would be cool. Yeah. Actually, in period, they weren't worth very much either. Nope. Much like old race cars back then just got thrown away, so... But I can't imagine, like, I don't know, going to a local Ford dealer. Did you, like, order them? Like, how did you get those back then? I have no idea. I don't think you could buy them, could you? They had street cars. So how did you get them? I don't know. Have you awarded them for racing with them? I don't know. Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know, but similarly at the same time, you could buy a Pantera, so. Yeah. Right afterwards, which is also a good choice for that brand new Pantera. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, yeah, 69Z28 with the cross ram manifold. Um, and a four-speed, and the chambered exhaust, I think, would be pretty amazing. Probably, you know, looking back, I probably wouldn't have ordered an orange one brand new. No. Um, and I don't want to say green because my 68 Camaro was green, but probably like a white. Yeah, white Yeah, with, like, white. black stripes. White with black stripes and the black interior with the black and white houndstooth. And those had the... That cross ram intake, is that what you're saying? Yeah. They yeah. had the two four barrels that were like across from each other, yeah. like diagonally across yeah. from each other. You know, with that Trans Am style. 
Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Most of them didn't have that. Most of them just had a standard, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know if it was a four barrel or like a quarter jet style. I don't know what it was specifically, but the four speed rock crusher. Yeah. I think, I think the M21 gave in those yeah. as well. Yeah. Which is the same that my car has, but my car has a 350 convertible. But. Yeah. But you'd get front discs and like, which your car which has. My car I mean. has. <laughs> but it would just be the coupe platform. And like I said, they had different sway bars and they just had you know, heavy duty suspension and they were just a handling car. And I just, I really like that car. Yeah, they're they were built for Trans Am. Yeah, I, and I don't often talk about selling my Camaro, but I would definitely get rid of my Camaro for a '69 Z28, mm-hmm. just because they're awesome. All right, uh, Yeti Overland says Raider or Montero. I don't know. Uh, I'm going to say Montero just for argument's sake. Yeah, because you wouldn't have to explain the story every time. Yeah. People are like, what's a Raider? And I'm like, well, it's really a Montero. But at the end of the production line, they decided to put Dodge badges on it and sell it at a Dodge dealer instead. Yep. So. Yeah, explaining captive imports to someone. Yes, which is like my life. What is this weird, boxy SUV you have? Is that a Land Rover? You're like, no, it's a Raider. Like, who makes that? Yeah, exactly. And you're like, Dodge. Like, they made that? Right. No, not really. And the same thing. And I actually have this question, which I actually was going to pose on the Colt Forum the other day. Is when somebody asks you what your car is, do you explain to them the whole story about it being a Dodge Colt? Or you just say, it's a Mitsubishi Colt? Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? And then they walk around the car and like, it says Dodge on the hood. Huh. So I just have that whole thing. Like, my life is explaining to people what these cars are. Sometimes when I'd be out in the town, people would be like, oh, it's an Eclipse. I go, yeah, it's an Eclipse. Like, I just... Yeah, you got to go along with it. But <laughs> if somebody asked you what it was, you say, it's a Talon. Yeah, I guess. But I feel the Talon is new enough that more people get it, whereas the Colt is from an era when people didn't know Mitsubishi even existed. That's true. Which we know it did, because you know, this is the 100th anniversary of Mitsubishi building cars this year. So, Anyway. Um, yeah, the Orville also says, would anybody like to go and fix my rear differential? No, sorry. No, so apparently he had, he's had got an issue with his rear differential, but I checked with him. It's under warranty. I was like, well, if it's under warranty, you just have it fixed. Yeah. Is he local to us? No. Okay. No, but he's out on this huge, if you follow him on Instagram, he's on his like long trip. Okay. Like he's from out west and he headed east for a long trip. Okay. So he's doing the opposite of our friend Jordan. Uh, opposite of our friend Jordan. So um, it was making a noise. They pulled the fluid in on the magnet. There was a bunch of metal and I was like, mm, mm. that didn't look that bad to me, but... If it's making noise, it's a brand new car too. Yeah, so. I would. Yeah, if it's under warranty, have it fixed. Our our friend on his West Coast trip actually just had an axle boot rip. Yes, so he, yeah, he had it replaced now. So. Uh, Biz Piz, we already talked about this one. Yes, um, I put that right at the top, so we didn't forget. Black River stages. Uh, going nowhere slow seventy. This is an interesting one, which I like. Looking at getting into an old Jeep CJ5 or older. What do I need to know? I live over an hour away from trails, so it needs to be freeway capable. I don't want to do any crazy crawling, just trails. Um, I'm trying. What is the CJ5 versus? CJ5, CJ7 is the one that came right before the 87 Wrangler. So it looks almost, the body tub looks almost like a first-gen Wrangler. CJ5 is going to have smaller doors, round, be a little narrower. Round headlights? Every They're all round headlights pre-87. So, so CJ5, 87 is the square ones. Like your dad's old. That's the eighty-seven is the first year of the square Jeep. Okay, that'd be a TJ, a, I think. Okay, um, CJ seven was one before that. The body tub of a CJ seven was very similar to a Wrangler. In okay. fact, you'll see a lot of guys do like a eighty-seven, eighty-eight, eighty-nine Wrangler with a CJ seven nose, the round headlight nose on it, 
because it almost directly bolts I on. I know so little about Jeep. CJ5 came right before that. Okay. If you think back to, like, Dukes of Hazard. Okay. Daisy Duke. Okay, drove so a that CJ5. one. All right. So it's... So it has a slightly smaller door. Um, doesn't have, like, the early style CJ3, CJ4 real round door cutout. Yeah. It's a slightly smaller door. It's a little more, um, I guess... Talking like Scout generation, it's a little more utilitarian. Bronco generation, yeah, it, was, it was still like a lot early. more utilitarian than a later one was. Um, what I'm going to recommend, you can small block swap those, right? You could actually. A lot of them came with a 304, which is an AMC V8. So these were when the they were built by built by AMC. Up until '87, they were built yep. by AMC. Okay, so um, I can get behind that. Yeah, there. I'm trying to find. Okay, this. What I'm going to recommend that you buy, yeah, because you want to do freeway driving, um, and you're listening to a Mitsubishi podcast, is you need to get a Mitsubishi Jeep. Yeah. No. Okay. They came turbo diesel. All right. With five speeds. Okay. So they get really good gas mileage. The right-hand drive. They are right-hand drive. All right. But that's not, you know, if that's a thing, then maybe but not. They're but they're basically, they were, where they were. They were CJ. They were CJ threes. They're licensed copies of Jeeps. Correct. Built in Japan. Correct. With Mitsubishi power plants. Correct. Um, so theoretically, 19, could, in 1953, hear me out. You could take the drivetrain from one of these, with the turbo diesel and the five speed, swap it into a Jeep. You could. That might be kind of cool. You could. Um, in 1953, they got the rights to build the Willys. Yep. Um, and they made them until 1998. Okay. With the same body style. Uh, so they weren't CJ5s, they're CJ3s. Um, but if um, going nowhere slow 70 uh, wants to point his web browser to Paladin Trucks, we'll give them a free plug right here. Paladin Trucks. Cool guy. Yep. Yeah. Uh, P-A-L-A-D-I-N trucks.com. Uh, he is an importer of Mitsubishi Jeeps. And he usually okay. has five or six of them in stock. He's in, I think, South Carolina. Or Georgia, North Carolina, somewhere in the in the the, the Carolinas, south, somewhere in the southeast of the United States, uh, and he has tons of them in stock, and he has tons of parts in stock, uh, and he's the go-to guy. Um, I think they're very cool. I think that they're probably better on highway than a four-speed four hundred one or early. Um, I don't remember the engine sizes for Jeeps back in All that right. era. So yeah, Paladin trucks. Look at the at the CJ three diesel Jeeps. All right. So that's right. my next my go question. Um, I don't know. Is going nowhere slow 70 near us? I'm not quite sure. Anyway, I'll, I'll read Ian, the next Ian. one. Yeah. So uh, Ditch Rickson, uh, because of its en- because of LS engine I put in my Mustang. So he's local to us. He's a friend of ours. Yep. Actually went to high school with him. A lot of debates have transpired around my car at the track on Facebook. Instagram, Dunkin' Donuts, etc. Dunkin's kid. Yeah. It just seems to be very controversial. So he has a early Fox body. four-eyed Fox body. With an LS swap, which I think is, like, rad as hell. Yeah, it's pretty badass. It's also Uh, orange, which makes it even cooler. Like a metallic sunburst orange. Being the opinionated opinionated fellows, ahem, Brad, ahem, I know you guys have both said you like uh, LS swap stuff, but where do you draw the line? I don't think there is a line. There isn't. The only thing I think the line involves is if you're building something that 
Okay, there is a line. All right. So a purist kind of vehicle. Like if you're building like a genuine Shelby Mustang, you don't put an LS in it. If you're building, you're restoring a genuine Ford Cobra, you don't that, put, a, yeah, you don't put right, an LS so in it. That's it. Uh, but as far as that goes... Everything I mean, else, if you don't care, yeah, you man, just want a reliable power plant, put an LS. If you have three grand and want power, there's no easier way I to do it. I need a little more than that. Well, no, but you can buy... Like a, I'm talking about a 5.3 at Iron Block. I'm... Uh, I mean, I... Within, hopefully, the next two years, I'd like to LS swap something. I really want a third-gen MX-73 body style Cressida with an LS in it. See, I want a Volvo 242. Okay. With an LS. Yeah, that's cool, too. So. I also want a big, dumb, like, 50s American car with an LS in it. That would be fun. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah, they're, they're, the, the line is purest restoration stuff. No. Uh, but other than that. Fox body? Who cares? Other than that. What's the difference? Do what you want to do. I mean, there's a 4G63 Fox body out there. I know there's a four-rotor rotary engine Fox body out there. Everybody's got five liters. Yep. Why? <laughs> Which actually, the five liter is a good motor too, and I would swap that into almost anything else as well. That, yeah. Also, put that in a Volvo. Yeah, a 740 Volvo, a la, like Paul Newman style. Yep. That'd or even beautiful. in a 240. Who cares? Just yep. put it in there and call it a day. Yep. Whatever you can get cheap. Which you could probably. I bet. I bet that Ditch Rickson has a five liter lying around now. You could put in a Volvo because <laughs> he took it out to put the LS in. Yeah. Uh, Mud Raider says he's being sneaky here because now he's asking a question from. Instagram and Facebook. Uh, what's your favorite piece of Mitsu swag you've ever gotten from an event? Hmm. Does swag imply free? Yeah, I guess. I mean, the thing that I... Actually, it's the one that got away. We were at MOD one time in New Jersey. And they had a raffle for one of the Mitsubishi red jumpsuits that they had in the commercials when they had oh, the warranty yeah, thing. yeah, 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 yep. And, like, I think I was, like, a couple numbers off. I was like, oh, yeah, really, cool it was such a stupid a hang thing. on the wall. Yeah. But it would have been cool. I mean, I'm wearing my 2017 MOD t-shirt right now, actually. Yeah. Uh, my favorite t-shirt would probably be the 2012 one. They had the silhouettes of the cars. Oh, see, the one I got, I bought one. It just has the Mitsubishi Motors logo in the front center chest. And on yep. the back, it has a crank. And it just says, show some, show some backbone. Okay. That's from MOD? Yeah, I bought that at MOD. Must have been I didn't go. Yeah. That's the um, one I like. But I, there's not a lot of swag that I've gotten for free from Mitsubishi events, I don't think. I had one year I went and I had two tickets in there, so I got like two t-shirts, which was kind of cool. Yeah, but it's, I don't really give away a ton of cool stuff. No. I mean, I've gotten a lot of cool stuff like purchasing them at the events. Those little bags are kind of useful. Little drawstring oh, bags. Little drawstring bags, yep. They're good. Like, I'll throw them in the car with stuff so it doesn't like roll I mean, around. I, bu- I bought some cool old literature at JCCS one year. Yeah. A bunch of old Mitsubishi literature, which is pretty awesome. But other than that, no, really no uh, no other swag I've gotten, I guess. So that's pretty much it. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you check your Facebook page, Andrew? Were there any questions there? I copied it in to our form. So unfortunately, I didn't see any of yours. You did it kind of later in the day. I did because you did it earlier in the day. I figured I'd do it later in the day and kind of catch anybody who missed it the first yeah, time Yeah, but around. stupid... Facebook doesn't let everybody see everything. Uh, there is one question on mine. Oh, popped up. Uh, former guest Eric Corrales. Okay. Thoughts on Brad's 2.6 progress? VOR hopes and expectations? You should show Highlights the, some MOD and sh- after party? You should show the, uh, the pie chart. 
I will post that pie chart later on. Yes. And I will tag Eric in it, anybody else that wants to see it. It's, yes. Uh, yes. It basically says that Brad's project car will never be finished. <laughs> uh, it will be. It's just, you know, Eric knows some of my story right now, and I'm a little busy. So we'll get there. Um, VOR, hopes and expectations. My truck probably won't be there. Nope. Uh, I hope to, I am getting a replacement CB. That one I have is apparently bad. Uh, they're going to swap it out for me. Well, I'm going to take it out of the truck. They're going to exchange it for me. I'll send it back to the people I bought it from. I hope to have some sliders welded on before. Yeah. We're going to work on that ourselves. I think. Yep. That is basically all I'm going to hold. I'm going to hold some ransom on that end. I'm not going to help you weld sliders on unless you help me do the valves. God damn it. (laughs) All right. <laughs> so um, there are a few VOR spots have opened up as yeah. far as people selling their spots. And if my truck is running properly, I may consider it. Okay. But I'm not positive. All right. So I'm not I'm not worried about it, but maybe. Um, we did highlight some of MOD last week. Yes, we did. So Eric, you can go back and listen to that. Which I think came out pretty cool. Let us know if that sounded okay. We think it sounded pretty cool. Yeah, the In the cool. Car podcast. That we, was fun. We'd so. like to do more In the Car podcasts. Being uh, as we are a car podcast, we enjoy yeah, driving cars. Uh, it's kind of fun to take one of our cars uh, and and do one of the extra episodes driving around. That was pretty fun. Uh, I think Stephanie liked it too. That was actually her first time on. So uh, I'm going back into the questions here, and there's another, another question. Oh, really? Did I miss one? Uh Never mind. No, I didn't miss it. All right. So, again, thank you all for listening. Thanks for giving us some questions. Uh, you can follow us on Out Off Topic uh, Podcast on Facebook. You can follow uh, us on Instagram, Out Off Topic. You can follow me on Instagram, Raced in Anger. I've got a couple posts on Right Foot Down. My most recent one was on Climb to the Clouds. It's got some excellent images with it and I think some okay writing. You can check that out, Right Foot Down. There's a bunch of other people that it's write really well on Right Foot Down, and you should definitely read it. It's rightfootdown.com. Follow the podcast. You already have that one? I did. did miss it. All right. So follow me at TSISS350. Yep. Um, also at Vintage Imports uh, New England on Instagram and Facebook. Please rate and review us on iTunes. That will help us out. Of course, share with your friends. As always, Keep your cars analog. I think next week we should tell people to rate and review at the beginning of the podcast because not everybody listens through the credits in the end. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. Just a thought. Yeah. Well, whatever. Keep your cars analog.